Have you had a bad day recently? Have you really messed up this time? <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody know what a snafu is? If you're at a snafu where situation normal but it's all fouled up, then uh, don't worry. Just have faith in God. Believe that you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You may not like yourself, but God still loves Jesus. And we're in Him. And He's in us. But first, I want to let you know uh, where I stand on things, really. That according to the gospel, the good news as I see it, and I think you all do too, you will not go to hell for coveting. You will not go to hell for stealing. You will not go to hell for adultery. You will not go to hell for lying. You will not go to hell for killing, even. You will not go to hell for not doing good enough or falling short of your goals. The only sin that will send you to hell is rejecting the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and not accepting His salvation. He is salvation in His name. So if we don't receive salvation, what can God do for us? <laughs> He's offered it. He's made a way before time, really. He made the way. So some of these things, of course, can surely give you some tribulation and distress if you do them. Some things are accidental, whatever, but they'll certainly give you tribulation and, and distress and cause distress and tribulation for others too. But just don't give up. That's the title of the message. Just don't give up. Last Sunday during one of the songs, I was kind of greatly affected by the word thanksgiving over and over again in the song. I've had a lot of saves, S-A-V-E-S, you know, saves in my life. I'd say uh, not just a few last week, but uh, thousands over time. I could tell you about them all, give me a lot of time, and a lack of concern about what you think about me for taking the risks and stuff like that. I guess we all have some certain risk. Airlines will hire more girls now because they're, and they're looking for more and more girls to be pilots because they've seen by statistics that uh, girls take a different kind of risk than guys do. So with the combination, they feel like there'll be a, a lot less accidents. So they even give uh, airlines a break on the insurance rates. I realized how thankful I was for all the protection I've, I've received over time. I was overwhelmed by the love of God that He was showing me. In traffic situations and conflicts with other people, mistakes that would have been embarrassing had they not been covered up by uh, His love somehow. Things that kind of disappeared like vapor that would have probably made somebody faint, you know, to <laughs> get some of these situations. But God's peace has always been with me for a long time. Not in every situation. I've had my moments of fear and doubt and unbelief, like everybody else has. Like learning takeoffs and landings, for instance, teaching students that you go through one, then you go, you know, you go around the pattern, you get another another landing and take off. And uh, some students will think back on the last one where they kind of bounced or something. It wasn't all that good at landings. They'll keep thinking about that one, how bad it was and stuff like that, and not be prepared for the next one. So they forget about doing the right power settings and level offs and control movements and stuff like that in order to make the right kind of approach to make a good landing the next time. They still got their mind on the last one where they messed up. 
And that's what the devil wants us to do. You've got to learn to uh, let things go. Don't just disregard it altogether. Just put it in God's hands. Jesus said, you know, cast all your cares on me. I'll care for you. He cared for us ahead of time, really. So it's already all been done. It's a finished work. All the work has been done. So how does that happen? By faith in the fact that Jesus finished the work. Who else could do miracles? No one, right? I mean, there's a lot of magic shows and stuff like that, but they're not miracles. All these things that happen, are they happen to everybody. And who knows what the count would be of those who are tired and can barely get by because of beating their brains out for doing something wrong and are just trying to keep going for another week. We all had situations where we were too late, too much on our plate, too busy to smile at others, too fearful or afraid to help when we saw a need. But those who know that Jesus will take our worries and cares if we let him, we'll be able to get out from under the distress and get back on track. Really, he has already taken those things, those cares and worries. But if we believe they are still there, we will face them. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God promised them cities that were already built and houses that were already filled with all kinds of goods. They didn't have to build the cities. They didn't have to build the houses. They didn't have to fill the houses with good stuff. If they had not believed, they wouldn't have gone in. But they believed, so they went in. So that's what we do. We believe. But what I'll try to show you today is that a lot of people have given up in the past, and these days too. They haven't heard the word of realistic belief, realistic faith. They haven't heard the word that helps them believe that there is something beyond this life. To believe that they could actually have more than what they have, or that they can have the strength to get through those times. They've become indifferent because they didn't have much understanding to start with, and too much was required of them, especially since they'd never heard anything to give them realistic faith until Paul wrote through the Romans to the Christians in Rome, and probably to some of his friends in Rome that were Pharisees or Sadducees that he met during his uh, ministry and, and all. When Paul's letter came to them, they were able to see what was going on, what the truth was, what grace is all about, because grace was not really a part of the temples and the sacrifice and, and all that sort of thing. Grace was not a thing that they understood. Abraham understood it to some degree because his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But to associate that with grace or to, to recognize that God was full of grace and righteousness was to them not understood yet. But Paul's letter came to them and he pretty well spelled it out for them that this grace was being suppressed. That could be the story today too, I think. Grace is still being mocked at by some. Maybe you've never heard that it was God Himself in Christ Jesus on the cross. In Romans 10, 17, NASB, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Bad thoughts, big doubts, they try to barrage the minds of people like a concentrated artillery bombardment sometimes, including things like 
I didn't do that right. You know, I, I could have put more study into that. I hurt somebody's feelings. When am I going to get better? When am I going to be able to straighten up and fly right? <laughs> um, oops, I broke a law. Oh, I got mad at the driver, at the other driver, and I wish he would get a ticket, you know, or, or get killed or something. Man, I wish their house was mine and they had a hole in the wall. That woman or, or that man looks pretty nice. All sins of the heart, murder, coveting, adultery. But Jesus has paid for them all. So receive forgiveness by faith in God's abundant grace. And for more faith, hear more of the word of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19, verse 2, John wrote that the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on Jesus' head. Matthew 27, 29 says that also they put a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they took the reed stick and beat down the crown of thorns on his head. And those thorns were two or three inches long, and they were just beating that, uh, with that stick those thorns down into his head, which is basically, he took all of our sorrow and all of our mental anguish and all the, the bad doubts, the bad thoughts, the barrage of concentrated artillery bombardment of, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right, the thing that goes on and on and on, that the devil tries to make it go on and on and on. I usually try to get rid of it pretty quick when I wake up in the morning, but it usually goes on for a few minutes before I can, say, get prayed up or whatever, however you want to put it. So if you are worried whether you are good enough or not, just look at what is required for a Jew to be called good. In Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 21, But if you bear the name Jew, and rely upon the law, and boast in God, and know His will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Yeah, well, that's a tall order, isn't it? Uh, but Jesus, God, the Son, fills the bill. He did it. But what do you say? Who is the only one good? In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 18, uh, as Jesus was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, there could be a lot of discussion about whether something is evil or bad, or bad or evil. Here's one thing the Apostle Paul has written, but surely there is much more to consider. Romans chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Impartiality here, James used it in chapter 2 of James. It's favoritism for personal gain. There's no partiality with God. There's no favoritism for personal gain. God has everything. The favoritism is generally for personal gain. So we're not saying that God doesn't like some, but He likes others. Romans 5, 9, 
says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus? Tribulation and distress come with evil doings. That could be hard times in this life or in uh, after life. Right now, I'm just interested only in whether you would give up or not. And hopefully you won't. A lot of people have given up in the past. The reason that we have not given up is because we have kept on hearing the Word. But let's go back to Romans chapter 1 to get a better idea of what Paul is saying with what we've read already there. He writes about the reason or the cause of evil as he sees it and the consequences of doing evil. The gospel, the truth and grace of God, is being suppressed. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, spells it out about men suppressing the gospel. Judaism was one thing and Christianity was another. The words of God have come from the Jews, which have been very important. But it was not a finished work. Uh, Judaism was not. And Jesus Christ's ministry is a finished work. So before Paul's letter reached them, the Roman Jews were not realizing what they were missing. Paul had experienced the same spirit of confusion about grace himself because he was wrapped up in the world and the influence of the world and the influence of Judaism before he met Jesus. And he was one of the best Pharisees in Pharisee land. Plus, he knew people there who probably respected him, respected his learning anyway. He learned from a man called uh, Gamaliel. He's also mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 5. He was one of the uh, head Pharisees that fought for the uh, Christian Jews. Paul was maybe one of his Gamaliel's favorite students, perhaps. That was probably a great help for Paul's ministry to get started, I think. That was in uh, Acts 5.34. Paul knows the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, where it was a warning when the people came into the land in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to inherit the promises that God had promised them. Uh, God finished up the, the word at that point with a warning not to forget the Lord, your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So that was spoken to them at that time, that they might not subsequently fall into indifference to God and eventually encounter tribulation. So God knew that if they became indifferent to him, forget him and become indifferent, that they'd go into all sorts of things like you know, the human race had already been doing for years. So... Paul knew this warning about forgetting the Lord. He had learned there was a lot more to the spirit realm than what Judaism was presenting. That God was a good God, not a mean God. But indifference towards God was happening all around due to the absence of knowing God's righteousness, His grace. Giving up was the theme of the day. People were giving up right and left as far as you know, they're, they're going through the motions and all. You know, kind of like what we see people here in the United States. Going through the motions, but giving up on God, indifference. I'm going there to see people, not learn more about where I'm at with God. That kind of thing. In aviation, we call it resignation. That uh, attitude of resignation basically is, is something you look for 
if somebody's trying to learn to fly, if they have an attitude of resignation that shows up, you know, you want to basically tell them that you, know, you, you better stay away from this. Taking flying loosely is kind of dangerous. It's not forgiving on uh, the wrong moves and stuff like that. You can't just let go of the controls and let the airplane fly, unless you have a good autopilot. <laughs> but. So we're staying away from resignation. That's what Paul was looking at. Okay, I've been there. I've been there. I've seen that in myself. You know, I, was, I was tired of all the rules and regulations, too. I was tired of having to do this. Paul was one of the top Pharisees, so we know he was, he was really good at it. He knew the law real well. I'm pretty sure that Jesus, when he showed up, Paul's knowledge of, of all the uh, Torah and all, all the scriptures he had read probably just kind of came together in a flash, you know. He didn't have resignation, but he uh, probably seen it in other rabbis and priests, you know. But a lot of people were coming down with resignation. Works and sacrificing animals and all that sort of thing probably got to be pretty old for some of them. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 through 11, that's where God had promised the people. He brought about out of Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. When we come out of Egypt, it's a kind of a type and shadow of coming out of the world system. God also promised them that when they came into the land, he had sworn to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them great and splendid cities, which you did not build, and houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns, which you did not dig. And we too, since we are in Jesus, have received the same promise. But the Jews in Rome were not knowledgeable of the gospel. This was a, a new promise. They'd heard about the promise, you know, years and years back. But this is a new promise. And say, like, what? Mansions? Really? <laughs> you know, they'd heard what Jesus had said to some degree. It was just another religion to them, which would get them in trouble with everything that they were familiar with. It was probably based on doing more sacrifices to keep God happy, as far as they knew. Paul saw their hesitation, knew it personally, and wrote a letter. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, he spelled it out for him. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And before that remark, he had written, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He also said in the next verse, Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. And many people didn't know these things. Didn't know things had changed. That God had done a new thing. However, I believe Paul, or formerly Saul, surely was respected by at least a few others amongst the Pharisees. It's not new to have faith. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we see where Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. But that was a long, long time ago. It was something that happened way back then. It's not like yesterday or last week or what's going on now. It's different. 
however, you know, we've heard this, the old adage, uh, history tends to repeat itself. The current thought was faith was only for help with today, with daily living, not eternal. Paul had come to realize that uh, this was for the, uh, the Gentiles, for everybody, not just for the Jewish people. In Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscious bearing witness and their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ alone. So who is able to do this consistently? Only God. Are you confident that you are a guide to the blind, a light to them in the darkness, a corrector for the foolish, a teacher to the immature? Do you have the embodiment of the knowledge and truth in you to walk in the light of the world? Jesus is the one that has done it for us. He's the one that is the light of the world. We walk in his light. When we see dark times, we stay in his light. Without the light, we stumble and fall. We agree with his word. We agree with faith. It was from faith to faith that we go. If you've been at an ocean beach or something, you see the wave after wave, wave after wave, faith after faith that rolls in in our lives. We go through our lives believing. When some blurb happens, well, we just, we go on, you know, but we continue faith to faith. If we think we can count on ourselves in our self-righteousness, this is what we can expect. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, I like it in King James Version here. It says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. So if we feel like we're justified by the law, if we've kept all the law that we can think of and missed out on one, we're not holy according to the law. But according to God, if we accept Jesus Christ, His Son, as our Savior, ask Him into our heart, we're okay, even if we have a little blurb in our daily walk. Paul was writing in uh, Romans chapter 1 about exalting the gospel, the good news, over the law. The gospel, the good news, is above the law. And also showing the cause of indifference, unbelief leading to other consequences. Because truth and grace were being suppressed. If they were able to steal grace from us, we'll lose our eternal consolation, our understanding that we are, like John 3.16 says, you know, God so loved us that He gave His only Son to die for us, that we who believe in Him will have everlasting life. Some of the church people will try to tell you that life is only as good as the first time you mess up. So you can be damned again today and saved again tomorrow. And that's just not the case. A once and done. Jesus died once and for all, for all of our sins. If they try to steal that grace from us, that uh, goodness of God, God's righteousness, we'll lose that eternal consolation and hope. Because without the knowledge that we are saved, 
our hope becomes no longer the confident expectation of good, but the confident expectation of good maybe sometimes today or maybe not tomorrow. If we have good luck today, we're not going to have good luck tomorrow because that's the way things work, you know, according to the, uh, the world system. But according to God's system, we're children of God. We're okay today. We're okay tomorrow. So this theme of uh, Paul's in chapter 1 about the suppression of grace, suppressing the truth, which in grace is the truth, John 1.17 says that the law came by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So unbelief, at least partially due to the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, at least some degree, when grace is suppressed, when truth is suppressed in the world system or in the church, people are not able to see their way. People were prevented from seeing that this gospel was not business as usual. Their business as usual was, if they messed up, they'd take a lamb to the temple. The temple and sacrifices were their way of life and had been forever, as far as they knew. Knowing that they could not do any better than, or thinking that they could not do any better than this, than dotting the I's and crossing the T's to stave off problems with God, if all this Judaism was working okay, then why make ripples with uh, the exacting performance that Judaism required? Why make ripples with some other religion that was probably going to ask you to do the same thing? Exacting performance. Well, justification by faith is what Paul was talking about and finally gets to. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And we all have different obstacles to conquer, and obstacles to fall over. As God's children, we are watched. We're made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who are already being so treated. And we are amazing. Amazing, yes, in God's eyes, and very much scrutinized by the world in wonderment of how we can, how we can survive in the world when we act in ways that don't make sense to them. We goof up, fall down, mess up, and when we were trusting our Father to make up for something, the mess we made, we pick up our mess sometimes. Other times, it's just too big a mess to pick up. We can't handle it. We just put it in God's hands. Hoping, no, trusting, that by our Father's righteousness and holiness, through Jesus, that God, having been vindicated by making a way to bring us all who will believe in the way to himself through the Son, he's made us free, for it is that in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. 
Paul's suppressing the grace message was uh, at least a big part of the cause of unbelief and indifference toward God, that whereby multitudes of Jews were found to be without excuse. If we don't see the righteousness of God in this message, the message will become evil. Uh, it's an evil message if it does not have grace. It's a live message with grace. When you take out the grace, it brings insensitiveness towards God. It's kind of like a spouse or a friend who is hurt to the point of no feeling or not seeing importance in their spouse or their partner. They're hurt to the point that their feelings for their friend or spouse are no longer there. Their spouse or their friend is no longer a priority for them. Uh, they are not attached any longer. In their mind, God is unloving, so why bother? Instead of seeing God as Jesus portrayed Him, the one who always had provided for them and loved them with unconditional love, they saw this bad God that didn't really love. It's a big difference. So we don't want to become indifferent to God. It brings out the evil, uh, the consequences. Basically, the rest of the chapter, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 32. The separation brought about speculations of futility and darkened their foolish hearts. And professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then God gave them over to degrading passions and then towards ceasing to acknowledge God at all and then to a depraved mind. And that's a summary of Romans 1, 21-32. There is power in what you say, whether you have accepted Jesus as your Savior or not. Much more power if you have and are now a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. Jesus is the Amen. Always remember to Amen His promises. If you think you have everything under control when big bad things come along, good luck. Make the best choices you can. But God is always there for you. He's waiting for us to respond to Him. And Jesus, our Lord, is the reason that God can be for us all the way. Talk to God in His Son's name, and you are more likely to receive the help that you need, because Jesus has already finished the work for that which you need. In Romans chapter 5, 8, and 9, But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? him. In Jude 24, Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. In 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me. Oh, these are promises. What He says about us, we can say the same thing about us. If you get a bad report, don't ask God if He still loves you. Ask Him if He still loves Jesus. 
because that's where we are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him are amen to the glory of God in us. So don't ask God if you are still okay in His eyes. Ask Him if Jesus is still okay in His eyes. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Father, for making it what they need to hear stick and be a comfort and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.